Sounds Like the Future, the official podcast of Purdue University's College of Engineering, continues. Welcome to this second episode of our two-part visit to the School of Materials Engineering. In part one, Dr. David Barr, professor and head of the school, introduced us to a wide array of cutting-edge research with innovations in thin films to enable quantum computing designs, additive manufacturing for 3D printed ceramics, and data simulations modeling unique combinations of advanced properties. Return with us now for more excerpts from faculty members who describe the component parts enabling remarkable products that might change your life. I'm your podcast host, journalist Bill Schmidt, resuming our tour of materials engineering with Dr. David Barr. We've already started to see the amazing impacts on society, the economy, and the quality of life, really, from the array of materials know-how that students gain. We looked at materials through the eyes of uh, members of the school's faculty who are at the leading edge of that know-how. Do you have uh, a few more examples? So one of the applications that is important for high-performance materials uh, is the field of ceramics. So ceramics are all around us, right? It can be everything from glass, right? One of the earliest engineered materials, glasses. Um, Glass is a ceramic. So for us, a ceramic is a compound, and a ceramic is when we usually mix together metals and nonmetals into some sort of compound that has interesting properties. So the range of ceramics goes from something that might be the coffee cup that I carry around regularly and drink out of um, to the glass window. And the glass window, of course, isn't just a piece of glass. There's a whole host of things you do for coating, for anti-reflective, for putting on tens of atoms thick layers so you can filter out different parts of the IR spectra so that your furniture doesn't, so that the, the room doesn't heat up. We filter out a lot of the UV spectra so that your carpet doesn't uh, change color over time. Um, so these, these are complicated materials. We also have very high performance ceramics, um, ceramics that are used for seals, ceramics that are used for uh, um, high for heat applications, for nozzles and rocket engines, things like that. Um, and so the, the aspect of ceramics right now is a, is a booming and growing area. One of the challenges with ceramics is most often we use these materials because they have very high melting points. Many of our high temperature metals are heavy. You know, materials like tungsten, a very high melting temperature. We use it for these really demanding applications. Um, it's also, you know, two or three times as heavy as steel. And so that's not necessarily the best thing for parts that fly, for aerospace. Um, we don't like moving heavy stuff around. It costs a lot of money to do that. So if we can have a ceramic that performs that way, that's great. High temperature materials mean high temperature processing, which means expensive. And so there's a lot of interest right now in how do you manufacture these materials using newer methods than we used to. And so there's interest in things like additive manufacturing, this is a very popular thing. Instead of instead of making a part and machining away the parts you want, how do you build it up from a particular shape? You know, so people are used to desktop 3D printers, right? And those are usually polymer based. One of the reasons they can do that is they are low temperature. You can operate them without an extreme uh, temperature gradient, and you can do it in a 
relatively safe environment. We can't do the same thing with some ceramics. And so there's a lot of innovations going on right now in ceramic processing for how would you integrate ceramics into additive manufacturing? Because we want to use the same kind of technology that everybody's excited about, print on demand, unique parts, get to prototype, get to try something. Some of the folks here are working on ways to integrate novel ceramic processing into additive manufacturing so that what's happened in polymers and what is currently happening in metals will be just as applicable in the ceramic arena. We spoke with Professor Rod Trice on the materials engineering faculty about his zeal for a ceramics challenge making news in today's headlines. More resilient materials to allow for hypersonic flight are considered crucial for national security, and Purdue is on the job. My group and I, we work on hypersonic materials for hypersonic flight. That's our specialty area and an area we've been working in since uh, maybe 2010 or so. The problems to be solved for hypersonic flight are just the sheer magnitude of heat that's coming into the leading edges of these aircraft, right? It's, it's an, a massive amount of energy that comes in uh, due to convection heating and also due to some chemical heating. So we're talking about surface temperatures in excess of 1800 Celsius. Right, your, your common uh, oven at your house, right, goes to 200, 220 Celsius. So these are really extreme temperatures that we have to worry about. Of course, the problem with materials is that um, a couple of things, they could melt, right? So a lot of materials cannot get anywhere near uh, these sort of melting temperatures. Aluminum, which is, you know, used a lot in the aircraft industry uh, for Boeing and these sort of places, right? Use it exclusively, low density, melts at 660 Celsius, right? And you don't use it anywhere near even above 100 degrees Celsius for like a commercial aircraft, a commercial flight. So we're talking about being up at 1800 Celsius. We're talking about leading edges that have to withstand these sort of temperature extremes. Ooh. So that's, uh, that's a really, really big issue. Uh, one that, uh, quite frankly, hasn't been solved. Uh, the other issue with hypersonic flight is just the atmosphere. And so the atmosphere is typically oxidizing. So, you know, we live in an environment that's, what, 21% oxygen or so. Uh, oxygen loves to react with things, right? Loves to, uh, loves to oxidize them, right? This creates some other problems. So a lot of the really best high-temperature materials, unfortunately, you put them in an oxygen atmosphere, it's kind of their Achilles heel, right? All of a sudden, the properties that we loved go away whenever they begin to react and form the oxide form of, of that material. I do feel a sense of urgency for myself individually and then just for the broader community. Uh, fortunately, Purdue has an amazing community of experts here uh, in the materials area, obviously in the aerodynamics area. So it really is, a you know, Purdue has an incredibly strong, talented team here. And we do talk, we do discuss, uh, they help us, other departments help us to understand the problems, they help us to understand the flight conditions, what the, you know, what the issues are. Uh, materials folks then have to, you know, understanding what the local requirements are for leading edges, then we can go back and think, okay, what are the materials? How are we going to discover these materials, right? And then, as you said, how are we going to make them? How are we going to make them consistently? How are we going to make them flight worthy? There's folks in chemistry, physicists help us to under things, understand things in ways that we don't. And so it, it, is, it is, as you're alluding to, just a broad effort that requires a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds. And as I said, Purdue has a lot of smart folks. So it does make it fun. Um, I think it's, um, 
It's an incredibly exciting problem. So um, it's, it is a community that I think is discovering each other in the sense of, oh yeah, I'm good at that and this other place is good at that. So we come together, right, each with our specialty and ultimately, um, you know, I think Purdue benefits and then hopefully, you know, the country as well. The School of Materials Engineering, I think, is a very special department. I talk with my other colleagues who are in other universities and what we have in our department is very special in the sense of uh, just the collaborations that we have, uh, even our interactions with students and, and um, we tip, you know, we're, a, we're an open door department, right? Our, our doors are almost always open. Students can come in and chat with us and talk about things. Um, our department still just has a great emphasis on teaching. We still care a lot about undergraduate teaching. Um, we're realistic uh, in the sense that we know that, you know, there's a lot of pressure on us to be good researchers and, and we love that as a department but we also still have a real strong commitment to undergraduate teaching. And so our department is special in the sense that, you know, many of us have lunch together. We do a lot of things together. And uh, so, yeah, it, it is a very special place. But, you know, once again, uh, kind of getting to what you're alluding to, the fact that we do get along, that we do communicate, that we do have lunch together, these sort of things do make our research efforts stronger because, you know, it, it's, it's the conversations that come out of these informal times that often are the most beneficial for forming collaborative partnerships. There's the experimentalists like myself who read and think about how to create new materials. But when you have the folks who can actually simulate materials and their properties at an atomic level, they can actually build materials starting with atoms, right? Then these sort of folks are going to help us in the discovery of new materials that, you know, an experimentalist like myself can't even envision or hasn't thought of. And so I think working with the modeling community, and, and we have a, a great strength in our department at Purdue is gonna help and facilitate materials discovery. One theme that emerges is that materials engineers uh, function in a multidisciplinary environment, Dr. Barr. Uh, they're working with other types of engineers, plus all sorts of other professionals, all the, all the populations that work in uh, manufacturing, design, testing, etc. Purdue has a reputation for interdisciplinary collaboration. Is that a big part of the school? It, it is. The, uh, uh, you know, the materials engineers that graduate from here, um, you know, about a third of our students go work in a, a company that makes materials. You know, a big steel company, an aluminum company, a material that makes high-performance ceramics, a material that makes polymers. About a third of our students go work in industries that make big things. An engine, a plane, a car, um, and they're, they're always going to, you know, their role is very often the role of the materials person on a team, right? So there's more teams that are design-based with some with materials support, and our people end up doing a lot of that. And then about a third of our people go off to basically everything else. One of our challenges is that we don't have a typical path for our students. Um, now, we've heard some about the research that occurs here, and our students will invariably uh, a certain fraction go on and have research careers that might be at a large company that might be at a national lab uh, that might be in academia um, but about the two-thirds of our students that go directly to industry upon graduation there um, last year for instance we had I think 45 students go to industry and about 20 go to grad school of the 45 that went to industry they went to about 40 different companies so there's no normal for us Every student has their own path. Every student finds the right fit for themselves and uh, ends up impacting 
we don't know what to, when they walk in, we don't know where they're going to end up. And so it's important for them to learn how to work in teams. We do that through uh, programs like our uh, senior design program here. So senior design for our undergraduates is a year-long team-based experience. Companies come in, they sponsor a project, and the, and the students provide real-world solutions for a company on that aspect. And they have to work in a team of four to five students. They have customers, the customer is the company, and they have demands of meeting project goals and meeting, you know, doing, uh, being able to responsibly meet the challenges of the project. Um, and they get the experience, you know, this is what we like to think changes them from a student to an engineer, right? So at the start of your senior year, you've had a lot of classes. You maybe have had some internships. You've had a chance to work on a research project. You've done some teamwork. But this is really an immersive experience so they can help turn our, you know, turn our students from the student they walk in at the start of the senior year to the engineer that walks out at the end of the senior year. And so that teamwork aspect is crucial. And they have to learn how to talk to people in marketing. They have to learn how to talk to management. They have to learn how to talk to people in safety. They have to learn how to talk to people in sales. And these are all things that our students learn over time. Um, a good technical solution does not always make it the right solution. And it's important for you to learn that while you're here in school and not be surprised when you leave here with that. Mm. So, um, yeah, interdisciplinary is a, is a crucial aspect of what we do. And I think our students, again, as I've said, we don't know where our students are going to end up. And so giving them the tools to succeed in whatever environment they end up is crucial for us. We spoke with Professor Chelsea Davis, who expresses her drive for excellence through her measurement know-how, making devices to test and ensure high quality in the adhesive seals attaching materials such as polymers and coatings. Smart tests and equipment help students and their prospective employers to make our everyday life safer. I work specifically on developing characterization and measurement tools mm. to quantify polymer interfaces. So I'm very interested in adhesion and friction. The interface of two dissimilar materials is the most interesting thing in my world. All the way up through structural adhesives of how do you bond different pieces of composite materials to one another to start developing some of these all-composite aircraft. I want to know how to measure adhesion. I, I want to know how to quantify it so that as my colleagues and formulating companies develop new materials, I want to be prepared to start studying and understanding how much better these materials are from their predecessors. One of the projects I'm really excited about right now that we're working on is sponsored by the Indiana Department of Transportation. And they're really interested in the performance of temporary pavement marking tape. So it's easy enough on a road to paint the road. But in a construction zone where you want the pavement markings to direct traffic around a work zone or into what used to be the oncoming traffic lane so that they can perform construction duties, you want these markings to be temporary. And in Indiana, we have some problems because the temperature changes a lot over the course of the year. So the question becomes, how does the performance of these pavement marking tapes change as a function of temperature and change with time? So what my group has done is we've been working for the past year on a project um, where I am 
co-primary investigator, principal investigator with Kendra, Professor Kendra Irk. Mm -hmm. And Professor Irk and I are have developed, along with several graduate students and a couple undergrads here at Purdue, we've developed a new rig that allows you to measure a perfect, or perform a perfect 90-degree peel test. The interdisciplinary nature of materials engineering has fascinated her and prompted her to develop a course that places polymers in a bigger picture. I have been an assistant professor here in the School of Materials Engineering for just over three years now. I started in January 2017. And it's been fascinating because I'm not, I personally am not a materials engineer by training. It's been fascinating to kind of see the different classes of materials that are available. And it's also led me to have conversations with my other faculty colleagues of just discussing the different interactions of metals and ceramics and electronic materials and energetic materials and how soft matter and polymers can play well and interact with all of these different materials in ways that I never have considered before. And even in, I've, I've developed a course, it's a graduate level polymer engineering course that many of our materials seniors have taken, our undergraduate seniors have taken. And even through that course, I've gotten a new appreciation for the interdisciplinary nature of what we teach in materials because the students will raise their hand and I'll be describing some polymer phenomenon and they'll be like, oh, well, is this like the ductility in metal after it reaches its yield stress? And I'm like, yes, it's exactly, or no, it's not, but it's similar. And it's given me a new appreciation for sort of this comprehensive global interdisciplinary education that our students are receiving. Data science and simulation will be transformative for materials engineering, Davis says. Purdue is well positioned for leadership in this increasingly creative world of partnerships. I'm really excited because data science and particularly utilizing machine learning to come up with unique combina combinations of materials I think that's going to inform how we approach material science in the next decade or so. And I'm really excited to see how that transition comes about and where we can implement that. Purdue is absolutely gonna play a leading role in this. And I've been really impressed by some of the new faculty members that have joined sort of with me or just prior to or just after this new cohort of professors at all different levels that have been hired on that specialize in utilizing machine learning, machine learning specifically to approach materials problems in sort of a new way. We as a university are clearly positioning ourselves in such a way that we're gonna be able to be in that conversation and be one of the first people or first, first institutions to sort of lead the way in data science development for materials. Alumni that are listening may remember when, uh, you know, the School of Materials Engineering had nine faculty members. We were graduating 20 undergraduates or 15 undergraduates a year. Um, we now have, you know, north of 30 faculty. We have faculty that are in all sorts of disciplines. And one of the tricks is how do we maintain that feeling of team uh, while we get larger? And one of the things that I, I like to say uh, to folks is that, you know, we, we, and Purdue says this quite often, you can make a big school seem small, it's hard to make a small school seem big. 
Um, and so as we grow, we try to make sure that there's lots of opportunities for student-faculty interaction. And students will tend to gravitate to different areas of materials. And much like a team, every once in a while, I like to use our sports analogies. Um, and that's partly because the new Ray Uri Sports Center is headed up by a faculty member in materials engineering, Jan Anders Monson. So we're very happy to have him working on materials for sport applications. Um, our, uh, if you think about materials as a team, you know, uh, when we go to the Olympics, you want to feel the team that's strong in every category. And so that's why it's important for our students to say, oh, I know, you know, I'm going to play on metals, ceramics, polymers, composites, electronic materials, biomaterials, green materials, all of the, you know, energetic materials, all these different areas. I'm going to simulate materials. Um, I think of as part of fielding the team that goes to the Olympics. And so they may specialize in one area and that gives them a lot of one-on-one -on -one interaction. But yet at the end of the day, they're part of team materials, right? The, I think when people go compete, uh, you say that, you know, the Canadian bobsled team doesn't say they're just the bobsled team, they're Canadian. Or the U.S. Uh, ski team doesn't say, oh, we're the ski team. No, no, we're part of Team USA. So team materials is a big uh, cross-cutting sort of area, and we want our students to have uh, depth in something, but also the breadth to be able to understand how they fit into the overall team environment. Let's talk for a moment about how the team materials is in training, you might say, for uh, the next Olympics and the Olympics after that. Uh, I know that uh, there's so much uh, planning going on throughout the College of Engineering uh, through things like the uh, Purdue Engineering Initiatives, the PEIs. Uh, how does the work in materials uh, fit in with, with those initiatives and the spirit behind them? So I, I think, you know, materials is an enabling technology. And so what, is, what we have done as we have grown over the area, as we've grown over time, is we've made sure that we, have that we have advances in materials that impact all sorts of applications. So one of the challenges with this has been that the space available and where we do materials research, um, some of the things we do are not necessarily amenable to uh, pretty new buildings with big glass walls and students that look like they're working hard in a uh, environment. Sometimes when we're doing high temperature materials processing, it's hot, sweaty, smells a little bit. And we tend to do that on the periphery of campus. We actually have uh, faculty that are in eight different locations. We have uh, materials research going on in three zip codes on camp around campus. So I think that puts us as the most dispersed group. Um, so we have a new research lab that's over in Lafayette, an industrial park. We have the Institute for Manufacturing, Eng uh, the Indiana Manufacturing Institute is where many of our composites processes work, and that's up in the research park in West Lafayette. We have people over in Discovery Park on campus and people that are in the Zucro lab that is out by the airport. For those of you that haven't been back to campus for a while, uh, you would be amazed by what's changed past uh, south of State Street. Um, you know, we use the phrase now, where married student housing used to be uh, for a lot of the research activities that are occurring here. Um, and then, of course, we still do things here. So that um, how we fit into initiatives, whether it's something about aerospace and cislunar space, well, you need materials to get you there and you need lightweight materials. We have people that work on everything from titanium to rocket nozzles. 
Uh, if we look at an application where uh, we want to do how materials impact medicine, we have people that are integrating biosensors into bandages so that your bandage can be a smart bandage and give an optical sign if it notices an infection. So wouldn't it be nice if you had something that changed color and warned you if there was a problem ahead of time? Um, and so we have people that work on materials like that. We have people that do resorbable materials so that if you do a, a something where you're replacing part of uh, that's going to interact with bone, you'd like the bone to grow back into the material. And so we have faculty that work in those kind of spaces. So if you look at the PEIs in many and many of the where places we, we work, uh, materials impacts it. And probably one of the most exciting ones is the role Purdue has played in materials within the space of data, materials data and materials discovery. So Purdue is the home of NanoHub. Uh, NanoHub is one of the longest running uh, National Science Foundation projects in the country. And the materials community has embraced NanoHub as a platform for doing computational simulations and material that are research grade simulations, but open to everyone all across the world. These materials simulations get running courses um, my colleagues at other institutions, other large Big Ten institutions, private institutions in the Boston area, people that happen to be in California, all use NanoHub tools created by Purdue engineers to use in their educational and their research space uh, in their programs. So how Purdue deals with integrating computational resources into data science and how that translates into practice and teaching is uh, something we're very proud of. And we've had uh, faculty here that have been leading that effort for a decade. We spoke with Alejandro Strachan, professor of materials engineering. He says his area of expertise, including physics-based simulations performed by supercomputers, helps to predict material properties and can spark innovations. We'd like to think that what we do is very hands-on as well, uh, but it's hands-on in terms of using big computers uh, to crunch a lot of numbers, to use physics to predict how materials behave, and try to, as you said, speed up the design of new materials. Okay, And so, so traditionally, uh, my field where I come from is uh, predictive materials simulation. So we use physics-based models to try to understand how materials work, starting with electrons and atoms, and then with that understanding, trying to optimize how materials perform, designing new materials. So that that's our, has been our focus for, for the 15 years that I've been at Purdue and before joining Purdue. Um, uh, what's a relatively newcomer in the field of materials is bringing data science and machine learning into the picture. So I told you about physics-based predictive models. We can now use tools from data science and machine learning to improve those uh, predictive capabilities. And the goal is to then use these predictive capabilities to understand how to optimize materials or maybe discover new materials that do stuff that we couldn't do before with materials. We start from the fundamental physics that govern how materials behave. That's quantum mechanics and the Schrodinger equation. And so by solving those equations, we can predict how materials that have never been synthesized 
how they would behave. It's a material that we've never made, uh, but using physics, we can predict how that material will behave um, before it's made and hopefully narrow down the uh, set of materials that you need to actually experimentally uh, synthesize and characterize. So helping out our experimental colleagues, um, help, help them focus on the materials that have the best chance of satisfying whatever design criteria they're after. We do simulations, right? We don't actually make the materials. So that means that uh, we collaborate with a lot of groups that actually make new materials, test new materials. Uh, we also, uh, my background is on these physics-based simulations. We collaborate with experts at Purdue on data science and uh, machine learning. And so now, uh, Computer science, we do very large simulations on the largest supercomputers in the world, um, machine learning, statistics. Uh, so all sorts of fields uh, are, are required to be brought together to solve these very challenging problems. Professor Strachan says experimentalists in the field benefit from input from the researchers he calls the computer geeks. We have a group at Los Alamos National Labs uh, doing an exquisite experiment where they can look at chemistry occurring in uh, picosecond timescales. A picosecond is 10 to the negative 12 seconds. That's how fast these guys can measure chemistry happening under these extreme conditions of temperatures and pressures. So that's one project, and I want to... Uh, it's another project called NanoHub. NanoHub is a cyber infrastructure um, that allows us to share these tools, the physics-based simulations and the machine learning and data science tools uh, with students and researchers from all over the world. And the cool thing is that all you need to uh, have to access these tools is a web browser. All of this is done by my students and postdocs, both PhD students and undergraduate students. And I get to talk about it, right? But uh, uh, um, the, the hands-on stuff is mostly what the what the students do. Um, and you know, as you know, at Purdue we have extremely talented uh, students from uh, the U.S., from the Midwest, and also from all over the world. And those are uh, the ones who are driving this transformation in the field of materials. Um, what I find, and I think it's very exciting, is that with this uh, relatively new interest in data science applied to engineering, uh, that brings um, also a lot of excitement to the students. Um, like you said, uh, material science traditionally is a hands-on, you know, get go to the lab, get your hands dirty and try things. And in, in my group, we're a bunch of computer geeks. And uh, that's not necessarily the first thing that you associate when you think about materials engineering. Uh, but with the growth in, uh, in the interest in computer science, the interest in um, machine learning and artificial intelligence, there's a growing number of students, engineering students, who are interested in um, 
getting into simulations, or I find that our students are a lot less afraid of uh, working with the computer and programming a little bit because uh, there's so much power, and these tools are ubiquitous. Well, so in the spirit of those initiatives, it, it sounds like you fully expect the uh, School of Materials Engineering to be uh, very much at the forefront uh, in, in the future. Yeah, I think we're an important part of, you know, if I go back to the team analogy for a second, you know, produce a team. I think we're an important part of that team, and our team has a whole bunch of different dimensions. Um, and I think, you know, if I, you know, we, uh, I appreciate a couple uh, heads ago. So the head of the School of Materials Engineering, Alex King, in the uh, early 2000s was the one who coined, liked to make the phrase that we stuck on our bumper stickers for a while, you can't make it without materials. And I like to think that kind of pervades everything we do. Thank you very much for being with us today, Dr. Barr. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. The future is just beginning at the School of Materials Engineering and Purdue's College of Engineering. This concludes our two-part visit with Dr. Barr. Learn more at engineering.purdue.edu slash mse. See the show notes accompanying all episodes of Sounds Like the Future. Our original theme music, More to Come, is by C. Chris Peters. Audio production by Purdue grad and staff member Saad Mukhtar. I'm Bill Schmidt. See you in the future.